isn't it isn't it amazing how when we're young we just you know, we can't wait till wow I want can't wait till we're a teenager and then we, you know then then we can't wait till we're 21 and then we just keep you know uh, wanting to get older and and then when we get older we wish we were younger and it's kind of like an old saying you know old age ain't for sissies it's uh, uh, it's. <laughs> Everything about it's not glorious. Of course, it's better than the alternative, which is six foot under, I guess. But, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, man, this has got to be it's got to be the worst day of my life. And I'm sure, no doubt, if you've lived long enough, you've had one of those days where you felt like that. And it uh, uh, reminded me of a fella that uh, I heard about and... uh, he was uh, sitting in a diner, kind of like one of those old 50s-type diner, and all of a sudden here a, bu- a bunch of bikers came in, and the leader of the group, you know, naturally in his black leather vest and all of that, he, he came in, he walked up to this old boy and slapped him on the back real hard and grabbed his drink and gulped it down and said, Well, Mr. Milk Toast, what you going to do about it? And the man just burst in tears. He just started bawling. And so a tough biker sat down beside him and said, Come on, man. He said, I didn't think you'd cry. He said, I I just can't stand to see a man crying. And the man said, You don't understand. This is the worst day of my life. He said, I'm a complete failure. I said, I was late to a, a, a meeting and my boss fired me, so I lost my job. I went out to the parking lot to leave and discovered somebody had stolen my car, and I don't have any insurance. So I had to take a cab, and he said I left my wallet in the cab. And I finally got home, and when I went in the house, there was a note from my wife saying that she had left me, and my dog bit me. And he said, so I just decided I'd just start walking. I walked down the road to this little diner here and bought a Coke, dropped a couple of capsules into it, and sitting here minding my own business, watching the poison dissolve. <laughs> and then you showed up and drank the whole thing. <laughs> I, I suspect, I suspect there's probably somebody thinking, well, let me tell you about my day, you know. I had it worse than that. You know, whenever you, whenever you start talking about something being better, something being worse, why, uh, you, you know you're going to get a debate out of it. I'm not talking about silly things like, uh, uh, you know, the best or the worst tasting food or the worst movie you ever saw or ball team or the worst song ever recorded. I'm talking about uh, the very worst thing regarding serious matters. Uh, And and, and by that, I don't mean the worst fire. Uh, We lived up in in Kentucky. There was a terrible fire there at a bar, dance hall, kind of like Gillies down here. That was full of people, and a bunch of people lost their lives. Uh, we think about the worst fire, the worst flood, the worst storm, the worst drought, the worst war, 
uh, the worst crime, the worst accident and all of that. Well, I'm going to talk today about something worse than all of those things. I'm going to talk about something worse than hell. And this isn't my favorite kind of preaching. It isn't uh, like an ordinary sermon because I've got just one point that I want to make. And uh, it'll be a little while before I get to it. I want to make that one point and I'll be through. But whether you're talking about what is best or worst on any given subject, you know there's going to be differences of opinions and debates. So whenever I speak about the very worst thing, something even worse than hell, uh, you know, I expect to be challenged, you know. Uh, there's somebody, you know, that maybe a, a cancer patient that says, you know, well, you don't understand what I'm going through and the difficulties that I've suffered and what have you, or maybe a grieving widow. And, uh, and in her mind, this is the very worst thing that could possibly happen to me, or maybe it's a little heartbroken orphan that has, you know, lost its parents. And uh, so we all have a different definition of what worst is depending upon our circumstances. To find the actual answer, we're going to have to look into God's Word to find the very worst thing. Several years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, Something Worse Than Hell. I don't know where the notes are. I don't remember uh, exactly what I said. But I do know there is something worse than hell. Uh, and if we're going to talk about something more horrible than hell, the first thing we need to do is stop and to think about just how terrible hell is. Because if we're going to describe something even worse than that, we've got to understand what the Bible tells us that hell is like. It's a place of untold suffering. There's no way, absolutely no way, that we can describe the degree of suffering that people will go through in hell. You hear people say, well, you know, war is hell, uh, or, or this is hell on earth. And uh, they don't know what they're talking about because the real, literal hell is far different than anything that we could even begin to describe. Untold suffering. Not only that, but a place of ungodly associates. Think about being confined forever in a place with the likes of Hitler and Mussolini, uh, the serial killers, and all of those, the most vile, filthy, wicked people that have ever lived, and to be confined with them for eternity. Uh, imagine that. And that's what hell is like, a place of untold suffering, ungodly associates, a place of unsatisfied desires. We see that all over in the book of Revelation and talking about the fact that they have they maintain those desires even in hell and for eternity. Now think about that. I don't know about you, but whenever I tried to quit drinking, there were a lot of strong desires. There are those that have tried to get off drugs, and there are a lot of strong desires, and sometimes those don't go away so easy. I, I've sat up all night with with. Uh, with an alcoholic uh, going through the DTs. And I mean just, you know, we talk about these people and even make jokes about people that are seeing, you know, white elephants and stuff like that. I'm going to tell you, that's real. When they're going through that, they're literally out of their mind for a while. And, and it's real. And th that craving, that, that unsatisfied desire. And it's hard to imagine going through that 
for all of eternity with that unsatisfied desire, something that you want more than anything else, and you can't get it. And, and then even worse, of course, is the unending separation. I don't mean just separation from your loved ones. That is horrible in and of itself. But I'm talking about an unending separation from God Himself. I mean, look, more than anything else about hell, I think that is the worst part, being separated from God for for all of eternity. So I can safely say that hell is worse than anything I can describe. It's worse than anything that you can imagine. Well, of course, somebody comes along and they say, well, you know, I don't believe in a literal hell. I don't believe in literal flames of fire. They say that that is just a figure of speech. It's just a metaphor. But if that's true and it isn't, let me tell you, then hell would be worse than that. Because, you know, if you're describing something with the metaphor, the real thing is going to be worse than the figure of speech that you're using to describe it. So we can say that hell is worse than anything that we can imagine. So naturally, with all of that in mind, it raises the question, what could be worse than hell? Think about that. What could be worse than hell? One preacher, a rather popular preacher, in fact, said a few years ago, he said, I can only think of one thing worse than going to hell, and that would be going to hell with heaven in your mind. No, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? Thinking that you're going to heaven and end up going to hell, that'd be horrible. But let me tell you, he's wrong. He's wrong. There's something worse than that. Something worse than hell. But what do we mean whenever we say something is worse than something else? Well, if we just take the dictionary and look up the word worse, we, we see that it is defined for us as most corrupt, bad, evil, ill, most wanting, that is most lacking in quality, value, or condition. So that's what we're talking about when we say something is worse than something else. So what could be worse than a literal hell of eternal torment? I'm going to give you the answer in one little three-letter word, S-I-N. Sin is worse than hell. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, how can that be? Because hell is nothing but pain. And with sin, there is a measure of pleasure for a season. So how can hell be worse than sin? Here's your answer. Now, I know I'm giving you the question and the answer, and then we're going to look at a verse that proves what I'm talking about. Sin is worse than hell because hell is the punishment and sin is the crime. Hell is the punishment. Sin is the crime. And let me tell you, the crime's always worse than the punishment. You don't believe that? Think about some, some vile, filthy excuse for a human being. Some man rapes a little girl, kills that little girl, is sentenced to life in prison. Now, what's worse? Uh, that, that's an easy answer, right? 
Of course, the crime is worse than the punishment. And even so, our sin against God is worse than anything that we could ever suffer for it. Have you ever wondered why hell is eternal? Maybe that explains it. Uh, You know, it'd be one thing, and I've often said, heaven is so wonderful, even if we had to go to hell and spend 10,000 years in hell and finally have our sins atoned for, get out, go to heaven, be with Christ for eternity, it'd be worth it. But there is no escape from hell. It is eternal. The only reason that it would be eternal is because an eternity of suffering, that is punishment, is not enough. It's not sufficient to offset the crime that was committed. Are you staying with me? It's important that we understand this. We're talking about the worst thing in the world. We're talking about something even worse than suffering in hell. And whenever we begin to look at it like that, we begin to realize that nothing is worse than sin. Sin is worse than suffering. Okay, suffering can be bad. Some of you know that firsthand, right? You've experienced horrible physical suffering. Some of you, like my wife, has lived with constant pain for over 25 years now. And, and, and suffering is horrible. There are those that have suffered the death of a loved one, and that is horrible and it's very difficult. But let me tell you, sin is worse than death. Sin is worse than hell. Sin is worse than anything. Keep in mind, it was sin that created hell in the first place. Now, there wouldn't be a place called hell had it not been for sin. And hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels and all of those who rebel against God and reject God's Son and refuse the forgiveness that God offers. Now, here's the problem. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, I've never heard a preacher sermon so long and not even read a scripture. I'm I'm doing that for a reason. We're going to get to the Scripture in a minute, and I'm going to be through very shortly after that. I just want to drive home one point, and that is the fact that we fail to see the seriousness of sin. It's common to hear people joke about sin. Right? You've probably done it. You know, all kinds of jokes about the drunk and... And, you know, different people, we make jokes about it, but I'm tell you, God's not laughing. Because sin is no joking matter. Sin is serious. And the only thing we need to prove that is to define what sin is. And actually, we don't even define it for ourselves. It's not our place to define what sin is. So many times somebody said, well, you know, I, I just don't feel like that's a sin. Well, it doesn't make any difference whether you feel like it's a sin or not. If God says it's a sin, it's a sin. And so it's not up to us to define what is sinful. God does that. And the answer is given in 1 John 3, 4. It says sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, sin is our rebellion against God. That word transgression means corrupt. It means uh, the violation of law. It means iniquity. It means wickedness. 
So the person who sins is revolting against God. Now keep in mind, when I say revolting against God, I'm talking about revolting not only against the highest authority in all of the universe, but I'm talking about revolting against God who is perfect in absolutely every way. So God established laws for us to live by, regulations for us to live by. God gave those regulations, those rules to the children of Israel in the form of a covenant. We call them the Ten Commandments. And there was a great deal of confusion, not only among the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. That's what the book of Romans is all about. You can be turning there to Romans chapter 7. I'll meet you there in a minute. But there is this conflict going on in regards to how it is that we can be justified in the sight of God. Paul comes along and he says we're not justified by the law, but rather we're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so somebody else comes along and says, well, what's the purpose of the law then? What good is it? I mean, you know, if it can't save us, what benefit is the law to us? And as Paul is speaking about this matter of being justified and how the law is not able to do that, all of a sudden some of them begin to conclude that the law must be bad rather than good. And Paul goes to great length to prove to us that the law is good. In fact, when you read verse 12, 15, and 16, there are four times in those three verses that Paul says the law is good. Now, now man doesn't like it. We want to be free to eat, drink, and be merry and to do as we please. We, we don't like those regulations imposed upon us. But the law is good. The law is good, number one, because it is beneficial. It's helpful. You've probably heard some preachers say that whenever God says don't, what He means is don't hurt yourself. Because it's for our good. It's beneficial. For us to live according to God's laws. But also remembering that it comes from God who is holy. It's not unrighteous of God to say, well, you know, I'm just going to torment them by caging them about with all of these rules and regulations and imposing these responsibilities upon them. No, God is holy. So the law has to be good. It can't be bad because its source is God and He is a holy God who gives us a law that is beneficial. One of the ways in which it's beneficial is that it enables us to see the awfulness of sin. In fact, Paul said, you know, that basically, I'm paraphrasing, he said, basically, I was alive once. In other words, I was just fine. Now remember, he was a man who was a religious man. He had a good reputation among those self-righteous Pharisees. Here is a man that was looked upon and held in high esteem by those same people. And yet, he says, I was alive once, but then the law came and he said, it slew me. It put me to death. In, in, in other words, all of a sudden, whenever he began to look in the law, and he said, I didn't really understand it until I read that it said, Thou shalt not covet, and that's the one that got me. And that gets all of us. That's why the Bible says, For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all violated the law in some way or another. 
And, and the law was never intended to save anyone. It was intended to help us to see our lost condition and the fact that we are unable to save ourselves. So you have to conclude that the law is good when you understand its purpose. That's why I said to the Galatians that the law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It brings us to Christ because a person will never turn to Christ until, first of all, he realizes that he is a sinner. And the problem is, is that we fail to understand the seriousness of sin. Now, I want you to look at verse 13. This is our text this morning. With all of that in mind, Paul says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. And here's the text, listen carefully. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Notice those words, exceeding sinful. Exceeding means utterly. It means a degree that exceeds extraordinary. It means far more, much greater, surpassing beyond measure. We, we get our English word hyperbole, hyperbole from that Greek word that is translated exceeding there. It means an exaggeration or extravagant. Charles Spurgeon many years ago in one of his sermons made this statement. I haven't ever heard anyone else make it before, but he hit the nail on the head when it comes to this particular statement. He said, there's nothing in the world as bad as sin. When he wanted to use the very worst word he could find to call sin by it, he called it by its own name and reiterated. Notice again, here's the phrase, sin, exceeding sinful. That's the scriptural definition of sin. It is exceeding sinful. It is beyond extraordinary. It is beyond what our mind can imagine. But yet you and I both know that is not the way that most people view sin. They don't sense the seriousness of sin. They're not only deceived, they are in danger. I really believe if we understood how serious sin is, probably every service we had, there would be someone on their face before God confessing their sin. Now, I'm not talking about those that are lost, that are coming for salvation. I'm talking about those of us that have been saved, that have sinned against God in some way. It might be an act that we have committed that we should not have committed. It might be an absence, that is a sin of omission. We Baptists are experts at overlooking that one, aren't we? Because we've got in our mind, you know, as long as we're not doing all of these other things, these overt acts of sin, it's all right if we neglect all of our responsibilities. But it's sin in God's sight. It's awful in God's sight. It's the transgression of God's law. 
And then there's the matter of attitude. It's not just acts, it's not just an absence, but it can be our attitude. Wow, that, that gets right down to where all of us live. There is absolutely never a day of our life that there isn't something that needs to be confessed because none of us get it perfect every day. If we don't have a biblical view of sin, then we'll never see our personal sinfulness. For the unsaved person, that means they'll never see their need of a Savior. Some people get really upset with the preacher preaching against sin. Some preachers brag about the fact that they don't do it. Some preachers of the mega churches, especially this one here in town, gets on national TV and talks about the fact, bragging about that. He said, I, I, I never preach against sin. He said, I don't need to. Everybody knows they're a sinner. No, they don't. He doesn't. Evidently doesn't think he does. Anybody dumb enough to write a book, Your Best Life Now, and some of the other stuff he said, that tells you he's got a problem. He doesn't understand his own spiritual condition. And it's horrible for someone to minimize the importance of sin like that. Because until a person is, until a person is aware of their sinfulness, they'll never see their need of a Savior. They'll never see the wisdom in the cross. Let me tell you, the cross makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. In fact, that was part of the, that was part of the debate that was going on in, in that day, you know. He said, you know, that, uh, there was a debate about it being foolishness to some. They didn't see the wisdom of God in it because they do not understand how exceedingly sinful sin is, nor do they see the greatness of God's grace until they understand the seriousness of sin. You know, most people's got this idea. Well, yeah, I realize I'm a sinner and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven and God loves me. And, you know, I want to jump on the bandwagon like everybody else. And, and uh, so if I walk down the aisle and say a little prayer, you know, why God's obligated to take me to his heaven. Let me tell you, you never do anything to put God under obligation. We don't deserve anything, folks. How can we who don't deserve anything start demanding something from God? We don't have that right. Everything we have is a result of God's grace. But we never understand the greatness of His grace till we understand the magnitude of our sinfulness. Oh, and we get to that place that it just really hits us, maybe for the first time. And, and this is why this matter of self-esteem and self-love and all of this other nonsense is so devastating to our society. It creates a mindset that I deserve more and bigger and better. And, and, and I've got a right to be angry if I don't get it. Their primary goal in life becomes then to satisfy their own desires. They feel that they've got a legitimate complaint when things don't go their way. But they don't. Not one of us have any reason 
to complain. Listen, if God never did anything but save you, you have nothing to complain about. If God took all of your children like He did with Job, you wouldn't have any right to complain against God. If you lost your business, you wouldn't have any right to complain against God. Because we don't deserve anything we have. And let me tell you, if you ever begin to see that, the practical value of it will be a precious jewel in your life that you wish you had discovered a long time ago. Because whatever it is you're going through, you need to realize it's more than I deserve. And the reason that we that we realize we don't deserve it is when we come to understand just how sinful we are as human beings. Just what a horrible, terrible, awful thing we've done when we sin against God in any way. Well, somebody comes along and they say, well, you know, I've got to admit I'm not perfect. You always know where this is going whenever you hear somebody talk like that. They're getting ready to try to justify some sin in their life. I'm just human. We're all human. We all make mistakes. So I'm not perfect. But they think of themselves as not not really so bad. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. We're all bad. We're all sinful. We have all done the very worst thing we could have done. You know, sometimes we talk about our sin and the way it affects other people and the horrible things we do. I talked a while ago about, you know, the, uh, the, the illustration of some man raping a little girl and murdering that little girl. And when we think about how horrible and how terrible that is, let me tell you, that is horrible, that is terrible, but the worst thing about that's not what he did to the little girl, not what he did to the family. The worst part of that sin is what he did to God. He rebelled against a holy God. And for some reason or another, we just, we just don't get it. I think there's a reason for that. The reason we just really don't get it, the reason we don't see the magnitude of our sin is because we cannot possibly comprehend the greatness of God's holiness. You know, we can talk about it. I can preach about it. We can sing about it. But we... We can't really wrap our mind around that, how great and how good God is. When we sin, we do the worst possible thing imaginable. And that's dangerous. And due to the danger of sin, we ought to despise it. We ought to dread it. We ought to depart from it. And there's only one way to depart from your sin, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we talk about how horrible sin is and how horrible hell is. Do you want to know how to, how to really analyze the situation and come to a, an intelligent conclusion about how horrible hell is or how horrible sin is? 
Somebody said, well, you know, if, boy, if God just, if God just let me go to hell for 30 seconds and I could feel the heat and I could hear the screams and I could see the faces of those in agony, oh, that, 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 that would tell me how bad hell is. No, there's something better than that. There's another way. If you really want to understand how bad hell is, how bad sin is, you go to the cross. You picture yourself standing there and you see Christ crucified, hanging on the cross, shedding His innocent blood for our sinfulness. That's the best place. In fact, that is the only place in all of the world that we can begin to understand what a horrible offense that we've committed against God. That we have violated His righteous standard. And because of that, because He's not just holy, but because He is a just God, that sin has to be paid for. And it will either be paid for by Christ on the cross and you will accept it, or you will be making payments on it for all of eternity in a lake of fire. Solomon summed it all up well, I think, in Proverbs 28:13. He said, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So my question to you is, what do you want, misery or mercy? Notice he said, you're not going to prosper if you try to cover your sins. And that's exactly what a lot of folks do. They try to cover them up. They try to excuse them. They try to blame somebody else. Somebody just just this week said to me, talking about another situation and what have you, that, yeah, you know, so-and-so you know, made the, the statement... Uh, I don't want to get too personal here because I, you know, this isn't a personal attack against that person. I, I don't want to tell you the name of that person. But they have a right to commit the sin that they commit because, because other people in the church are committing different sins. And there's no difference between any sin. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that, by the way. There is a difference. Any sin is enough. Remember, Paul said, I didn't know what sin was until he said, Thou shalt not covet. He said, That's the one that got me. Any sin is enough to damn your soul for all of eternity. The slightest, what we would call the slightest of sins, but in reality, there is no such thing as a slight sin. It's all horrible, it's all terrible in the sight of God, and the only possible way for us to depart from it, to deal with it, is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the only one that can pay that sin debt. See, I can't pay my sin debt. Why? Because I'm guilty. None of us can pay our own. That'd be like a bankrupt person trying to pay their way out of bankruptcy when they don't have any capital to do it with. You know, you owe somebody $10 million and you say, well, I'm going to pay you a penny a month and so that ought to be good enough. No, you'll never get out of debt that way. You, you don't have enough to pay enough to get out of debt. That's the way it is with your sins. 
If you could live perfect every day the rest of your life, you'd still die and go to hell. Unless you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He paid a debt He did not owe. He paid a debt I could not pay. For I needed someone to wash my sins away. Amen? And He did exactly that. And if you're here today, I want you to understand, you think hell is the worst thing in your life? No, it's not. That's the punishment. The real crime, the real horrible, terrible thing in your life is the sin that you committed against God. And for those of us that have already been saved, you better be careful about dismissing your sins as, you know... I've literally heard people say, well, I know that what I'm doing is a sin, but I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And I'm going to use Him as an escape hatch to get out of getting hurt. You go back to the Old Testament, and there was a sacrifice for every sin except the sin of presumption. When you start talking nonsense well but God is a God of grace he's a merciful God you know I don't need to worry about my sins are you kidding me you might not you will not lose your salvation but I'm telling you right now that whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth it's every son that he receives Somebody says, oh, if I believe what you Baptists did about eternal security, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't worry about sin because we can sin all we want to and go to heaven. Let me tell you, we sin more than what we want to, and you don't get by with it. If you're a child of God, you're going to pay for it here. The Bible says if you be without chastisement, he says you're bastards and not sons. That is, you're illegitimate. You're not really a child of God. If you're a child of God out of the will of God and you don't repent of your sins, you're going to get hurt. Somebody says, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, everybody suffers in some way or another, but you're going to suffer more than you would have. The best way to deal with your sin is to, what did he say? Confess it and forsake it. Confess it and forsake it. Whenever it's talking about confessing it, that means more than admitting it. I've seen some people get, you know, caught in their sin and they would admit it for the church, before the church, to keep the church from voting them out. So they would admit it. They had no plan to forsake it. That's not godly repentance. Godly repentance is with deep sorrow. It's with regret. It is with a regret that causes us to change the way that we live. The, the worst thing in all of the world Is sin. And we do it all of the time and then come to church and leave the service acting as though there is nothing between our soul and our Savior. 
you better rethink that. Sin is serious in God's sight. This message was actually born out of a, of a plan. I have a stack like that laying there on my desk with all those other stacks, baby doll. She, I won't clean it someday. That, that's the way some people are about their sins. They're going to do something about it someday. I'm going to worry about my desk. And that, that stack is just handwritten notes about a series that I want been wanting to preach on sin. And just thinking about that, it, look, if we, if we don't get this straight in our mind, I can preach till I turn blue in the face and fall over dead, and it wouldn't do any good. We've got, we've got to understand that, that sin is serious. It, sin is what? Exceedingly sinful. It's extraordinary. It's like Spurgeon said, when Paul couldn't come up with another word to describe sin, he used the word sin to do it. Sin is exceeding sinful. It's beyond description. And for our own sake, we need to deal with it. Let's stand together. Father... How we thank you for your willingness to accept us as your children. How we thank you, Heavenly Father, not just for the warnings that you've given us in the Word of God, but for the instruction as to how to deal with our sin. We realize that none of us are perfect, that we're all going to sin, and we're so thankful that you've made provision for that that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray today that there might be a holy cleansing going on here in this service. That the Holy Spirit might deal with each and every one of us as to the sins in our life. That we'd not just ignore it, but that we would confess it and we would forsake it. May it be so, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And now while we stand as